Greetings, Sits and Sibs. You're tuned to the Guard Frequency. As all good pilots know, when you're out in the deep black, you want to keep one ear on the guard. This is episode 38 and was recorded live on September 13th and made available for download September 16th at GuardFrequency.com. I'm Jeff. I'm Lennon. I'm Tony. And what do we have this week, Tony? In this week's Squawk Box, I recently took a trip to the world of Reddit, and I'm here to tell you how I survived it. In CIG News, we bring you everything that's happening around the UEE, including our weekly crowdfunding update, Arena Commander 0.9, or Release 13, as I prefer to call it, 10 for the Chairman, Episode 36, some more Arena Commander 0.9, or Release 13, as I prefer to call it, details of Citizen Con, and the latest from Patch 13, or otherwise known as Arena Commander 0.9. We're going to skip Nuggets for Nuggets this week and bring you our interview with the CIG VP of Marketing, Sandy Gardner. And finally, we tune into the feedback loop and let you join in the conversation. Sits and Sips, we're always on the lookout for talented individuals to come and join the crew here at Guard Frequency. So if you've got a creative itch that needs scratching, then we would love to hear from you. Just drop us an email with your experience and what you'd like to bring to the table to squawk at guardfrequency.com. Please remember that all positions here at Priority One Productions are voluntary. This is, after all, a labor of love, but we do look great on a CV or resume. We've added a new feature to our website, GuardFrequency.com, a donate button. After six months of clockwork releases, trips to Austin and L.A., and plans for Manchester, uh, and the occasional, occasional detour into lunacy, we're finally confident enough to set that hat on on the sidewalk and hope you chip in some loose change. Of course, we're happy to share our labor of love with you each week free of charge, but it's nice to get the occasional concrete reminder that folks out there in the verse love listening to the show as much as we love making it. Thank you to everybody who's already chipped in, and we hope that you can decide to make a regular contribution. The more support we get, the better show we can make. Well, that takes care of the housekeeping, so let's get on to the show and see what's coming through the Squawk Box. Hey, you boys, need a carrier out here? Uh, everything's under control. Switch normal. Hey, this is Tony saying the Squawk Box, everybody. All right, okay, okay, hang on, hang on. Is this thing on? Okay, hello, hello, yes, okay. Um, a couple weeks ago, a listener challenged me to post my ships or ship components as Star Citizen's account-bound currency idea to Reddit and sort of see what happened. As I noted last week, the primary consequence is that my productivity that afternoon went right down the toilet. Uh, however, I was invited last week by my esteemed co-host, Mr. Lennon Rich. Uh, take a bow, you limey bastard. Uh, Esteemed, esteemed co-host. Uh, go ahead, let me take a bow here. That's racist. I, it kind of is. That's why I stopped myself. Um, <clears throat> anyway, he invited me to summarize the debate this week for all those of you who chose not to waste entire half days arguing with the whole internet. My proposal was basically cut off the direct money for UEC conversion and instead create a money for ships or ship components conversion. This would do a few things. It would sever the hard link between a single real-life currency, dollars, U.S., and the in-game currency, which will be an international entity. Second, it would introduce uncertainty to the gold farmer guys. Assuming they could find and exploit a farming strategy, their returns would be dependent, at least in part, by the willingness of legitimate customers to import ships into the game. Third, it would give CIG serious in-fiction hooks into the economy, as everyone already sort of accepts the concept of government regulating ships and motors, 
while opinions may differ on taxes on bank transfers and currency conversion. Most of the objections on the subreddit to the system I proposed were of a pay-to-win flavor. I think this is largely based on two concerns. First, a misunderstanding of the pay-to-win issue in Star Citizen. There isn't one. A fancier ship does not guarantee a kill, and there is no win or even an end game in Star Citizen's design document. Second, the idea of a player paying cash for a ship does not mean players can't pay UEC for a ship as well. As a matter of fact, my idea requires that there be a willing buyer transferring UEC for ships and or ship components to willing sellers who ponied up dollars for those items. And if CIG doesn't like the exchange rate, well, you know, they control the factories, right? I mean, no one will notice if they slip in a few extra cutlasses here and there. So after 103 comments, some great feedback, some not helpful, I think I have a system I like, and since I love the game I'm building, I'll summarize where I ended up. Basically, once again, I'll slip into kind of a comfortable lingua franca for us here, the currencies in Star Trek Online. Your energy credits in that game, you know, the throwaway stuff, the copper pennies that you find at the bottom of the well, if you will. Uh, that would be the cargo, the commodities, the laser guns, the components, etc. The stuff the star citizen economy is going to throw off in spades. Dilithium, well that would be our UEC. It's going to be the time currency, except it should be tradable among players for goods or services, but maybe in a band. A laser or a box of microchips should have a suggested market price. If you stray out of that too far, you may get a note from the UEE equivalent of the Internal Revenue Service. And finally, Zen. That's would be the ship or ship pieces or vouchers or tokens or whatever that you can turn in for in-game ships and ship components. Tradable for UEC also within a band, and this would be the benchmark in CIG's what is a player's time worth calculus. Sorry folks, they've got a business to run and that number has to be identified and maintained. In the Star Trek Online game, they're willing to let that number fluctuate between 3 and 58 zen per hour or between 4 and 73 cents per hour. So I think that is how were I in the CIG economy, head cheese area, this is where I would go with it. I think it solves most of the problems. And um, Lennon, go ahead and yank that soapbox out from under me now. <coughs> I mean, I think the thing is, though, Tony, I think it was best summed up with the parallel. Arguing on the internet is like, <laughs> you might win, but <laughs> Yeah, that was, was going, that was going <laughs> to the bloopers, I think. That's right. I don't even think that's going into the bloopers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, like I said, I was arguing with the internet, and that just doesn't do anybody any good. But I think there were, actually, I had a really good conversation with All Hands to Battle Station, one of the Reddit users on there. And we had a, we had a good back and forth on stuff. And he convinced me that, you know, maybe token, like a voucher or a receipt for an in-game ship could be tradable as well. You get kind of down into the weeds of, if I have a ship component or a ship, there's insurance and maintenance and things. It's like, it almost like degrades over time. It's like, it has a time component to it. But if you have a voucher or a token or a, a receipt for a ship part, you can just hold that and wait to turn it in. And so that, that becomes kind of a, a mini game in itself. Or if you're in a certain system that doesn't have any of those ships available, that token is worthless, right? So you have to get in your ship and fly to a different system and then turn that token in somewhere where it does have value. And so that kind of injects a gameplay. The bottom line of the whole thing is that between the money that you turn in via the credit card process and in getting that money into the game for components or UEC or whatever, there's got to be a gameplay element. There's got to be an element of risk or skill moving that money into the economy. And, and the sooner you inject that element of risk or skill or gameplay, the better off everyone's going to be. 
in the thread there, there were a lot of really good ideas that were generated and there was some genuinely good discussions. So if you guys out there listening haven't actually checked out this thread on Reddit, I'd, I'd highly recommend you do so. There's a lot of stuff in here that we just simply can't cover because it just oh, goes on for pages huge. and pages oh, and, I, and pages. And I felt obligated to jump in on everything because it's me because I'm like, I, you know, ah, you know it, it, I can't do it anymore. I just can't. <laughs> I, it's, it's too much, too much. Deep breath. Have you read, seen, or heard something that might be interesting to other citizens or civilians? Send an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com. Now let's check out some CIG news. 3175 Port Bay, hands on approach, checker screen, call the ball. Don't get taken home with me. Our crowdfunding update for September 13th, 2014, 53324000 But no letter from the chairman yet. I mean, guys, thank you. Thanks for getting those crowdfunding dollars in on time. Now he's got to hassle the chairman to get his homework in on time. I mean, not like he's doing anything else this weekend or anything. 595,000 plus citizens and 453,000 members of the UEE fleet Five out of every six new registrations bought ships. Okay, so CIG needs to go to every con and expo they can and release a new racing ship package every week. Wow. And this really shouldn't be news to you, but just in case you've been living under a rock somewhere, Arena Commander 0.9, otherwise known as Patch 13, has finally been released. Woo! There's been a whole plethora of changes, additions, and obviously some new bugs. We won't bore you by reading the list of everything that's changed, but the major highlights are private matches are sort of kind of available. Ish. Ish. Co-op Vandal Swarm mode is now available. Racing makes its first appearance. New flyable ships, new hangars, leaderboards, and much, much, much more. There's already been a small patch to fix a graphics issue on one of the racing tracks, as well as fixing some minor connectivity issues. And it was in the announcement of patch 13.0.1 that we were told that private matches have unfortunately been taken offline until further notice. Hopefully, by the time you're listening to this episode, they'll be back. So, gents, obviously, Arena Commander 0.9 has been released. Loads of stuff. Where should we start? Let's start with the ground, uh, the hangars. Okay. Mm. That is the first impression that everybody gets when logging into uh, the client, and I think that's Mm -hmm. a good place for us to talk about. I like the uh, Rebel in York, but I'm I'm most impressed with the arrow view. The Rebel in York really needs movement. It needs some people. Minions, Minions, Jeff? Yes. I'm going to go back to the minions. (laughs) It is stark. It really is. And I don't mean that in the in the opulence of the uh, layout or the materials or or the grand scale of it. I mean that you stand there and you look out across this vast opulent hangar and you're mm. going, "Am I alone? I am alone. I don't want to be alone." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Somebody hold me. Yeah. I did find that there was something about the Revel New York one, and it might well just be the lack of ambience and people wandering around. It, it kind of felt kind of cold. Did you guys get that? It just felt a little yeah. bit lonely and empty. And yeah, so I, I think I might be with Jeff on the minions. Um, personally, my favorite out of the three, which I kind of decided up front anyway, uh, is definitely the um, the self-land, the real scummy, grotty one. I tried all three hangers uh, that I've got available. That is 
by far my favourite. It just looks so used and worn, and as a hangar should, you know, you're not supposed to land in a pristine, nicely cleaned bay with, you know, your trousers pressed, waiting for you to put them on as soon as you get. No, it should be like oil everywhere and muck and grime and grease. And so I'm really. I don't know where the hell you guys park, but well, I I didn't I didn't switch my hangar around. I had the Revel in York. I enjoyed running around inside it, but I gotta agree with you. It's it's really big and really empty. I didn't swap any hangers or anything. Matter of fact, I'm not quite sure how you do that. I guess you have to go through the website. Yeah, you just go into your hangar, and it's the first thing on the on your hangar list, and then you can set the hangar that you want to log into. It's really simple. Okay, All right. well, I'm sure it is. I just you know I'll plead ignorance. I get the uh, the vibe that these are sort of player housing, right? Like you know, yeah. if you're going to draw a parallel to some other MMO type tropes, I get I get the, that vibe, the player housing vibe from these things. It'll be customizable to a certain extent. You can get additional rooms. There'll be trophies. There'll be swag in there that you can buy from the uh, Voyager Direct Store, fish, posters, that kind of stuff. I think it, this is more of the show-off space. I'd be willing to bet that there will be an entirely different revenue-generating model for guild housing. I bet serious money on Hang that. On. Bill. Let, let, me, let, me, let me just – I've got my crystal ball here. Let me just, oh, let me just okay. see what it says. It, it says that you'll need an Idris for guild housing – and you get oh. that by having somebody buy a ship and or ship components for real life mm. money and putting mm. it into the game. Mm. I like this crystal ball you have. Where did it come from? Uh, hang on. Taiwan. Taiwan. Okay. All right. Well, somebody from Taiwan agrees with me. Let's get into the game now. And now let's tackle some controversy. The class one guns. Yes. Oh my God. That yeah. is a whole new ball of wax there. Before I jumped into the game, I actually I kind of you know lurked in the forums a little bit to see what was going on, and there was just a whole bunch of people, you know, class one, ah! and I'm like, oh, come on, guys, seriously, you know, come on. And then I went in there and played with it. Gonna have to go with the forums on this one a little bit. Yeah, the dial got tweaked way over on the, on the fixed mount guns. Those have been, you know, nerf, I don't want to use the word nerf because this is a skill-based game, but the degree of difficulty it takes to put steel on target on a, the Vanduul fighters is, has just gone straight through the roof. They're going to have to do some tweaking on it. Yeah, that. I mean, it is a lot uh, more realistic because it mm. is fixed, and so you do have right. to have, you know, millimeter precision. But I think this is one of those times where they might have to do a bit of trade-off between simulation and gameplay. And didn't yeah, they, I've got, didn't they I've got add a, a lead reticle though? Yeah, but that You've I mean, still it's just be accurate, twitchy. Accurate as hell. It's so twitchy. It's really twitchy. I broke out my brand new M50 and I did some racing laps with it and tried to get kind of the feel for how it flew. And then I jumped into a single Van Duel, and it just took me forever to even get my first hits on bottom level. I see where they're going with it, and I think it's a good direction. And they can do a lot with the whole okay, we're going to let you have a heavier gun in a Class 1 slot because it's just fixed. You know, there's no motors or anything that has to aim it. That's fine, so we're going to let it hit harder. But there's got to be some trade-offs with, like, a blast corona, like, you know, have a thicker cylindrical projectile that will kind of catch a ship or a shield and its corona. Maybe having a higher rate of fire, maybe having, like, zero cooldown. Like yeah, less cooldown blast all the time. Yeah, just let it blast all the time. I mean, there's ways to do it, I think, but they're just they're going to have to do some more work on that. Yeah. It just makes it too tough to get steel on target. Yeah. And it, it stops being fun real fast. Actually, it doesn't stop being fun real fast because it took me like seven minutes to wipe out the first fighter. So it took a long time. But yeah. again, work in progress, pre-alpha. That's why we do these things. I'm sure they tested it in the office and thought, yeah, it's a steep learning curve, but we want there to be some steep learning curves. But again, the guys in the office have been playing versions of Arena Commander since probably April, you know, May, and they do it every day and they get a paycheck for it. So 
this may be a time when the internal playtesting might not have fully uncovered the degree of frustration that a regular Joe player who just wants to log in for 30 minutes is going to feel. So, Having said that, though, it is very good. It's definitely an improvement. It's just, like you said, I think they've gone a bit too far with it. So they're getting on close. The flip side, yeah, on the flip side, oh, I love the Hornet now. Oh yes, my god, yeah, that's so much fun. Suddenly an entirely different ship almost. The Hornet is almost overpowered now. I mean, the Hornet's almost too easy now. That's just tons of fun now. Those articulated guns, the difference between an articulated gun and a fixed mount gun, the gap is too wide that needs to you know, be brought back a little bit. But again, pre-alpha. Mm. Working the bug though. And we brought up the targeting reticle. I much prefer the lead and the, the one and two grouping. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That oh. is Huge a whole world of, and the and the radar as well the new radar the radar is night and day yeah that is a whole new yeah. world of improvement right there it's so much easier to track where your targets are before it was a little bit confusing you know is it behind me oh no I'll th- flip 360 mm-hmm. and no there it is okay mm-hmm. this one is clearly it's off to your left and it's down yep. that's that's exactly what I need to know speaking of being Love off that. to your left and down have you guys played around with the six degrees of freedom yet no a li- little bit I mean I'm still using the sort of the default keys on the uh, Hornet Again, it's right. that whole retraining thing, right? You know, you learn how to fly it one way, and all of a sudden they change everything. you got to learn how to fly it another way. Yeah. I've been doing a little strafing left and right, but I've been using the default maps, so it's easy for me to get to the Q and E keys okay. on the keyboard, so that's all I've been doing. Well, one thing that I've actually found, um, I'm actually using it a lot more, especially during the racing, because, mm. uh, you know, it just helps to have that extra fine level of control. But they have tweaked the flight system as well, and the changes to the afterburner. Now, it helps you reach... Love it. Yeah, oh yeah. It helps you reach top speed faster, and mm. it helps to point your intelligent flight control system, your IFCS, just gets it to where it needs to be so much quicker at the expense of fuel. What this then means is that I found with racing, a lot of my tactic tends to be, you fly through the first checkpoint, and then you know that the second one's off to your right because you can see like where the track goes. So you mm-hmm. sort of fly along, you slam your craft to the right, and you effectively like handbrake turn in the air, fire on your afterburner, it just instantly aligns you forward, you jet off at max speed, and I I don't know if that's how a ship would actually handle in space, but I like it. So, I'm, <laughs> yeah, I'm loving, don't change loving it, don't the change new IFCS. <laughs> so that's the thing, is that I find that I can no longer shoot things because of the whole mounted gimbaled gun, <laughs> but I can outrun anything. Yeah, yeah, but you don't get shot. So, you know, you're high defense, low offense. Yeah. That's yeah. One thing we did find interesting in the patch notes mm. was Idris not displaying inside hangar. Hmm. Hmm. Rampant speculation time, gentlemen. Rampant speculation time. Now, Jeff, you talked a lot about walking around the side of the hangar. You think they're going to fit an Idris in there? Oh, boy. Yes, with a much larger extended module, maybe. Think they can have something a little bit longer, a little bit bigger, maybe get an Idris in there? Like like an Idris room? Yeah, like an Idris room. I mean, it's cavernous. I mean, the Revel in York is cavernous. So I can see them. It's not impossible. Well, the only way I can see it happening is that the bay doors are not going to be forward, but the bay doors are going to be the roof. And Sure, that could be your room, the one that... You you know, and so it's not going to be that hangar. It's going to be a separate room. It has to be. Yeah, yeah. But but it's not impossible given the scale of that thing. It's not too big. Oh, it's not out of, no, it's not out of the realm of, of yeah. believability. No way. But they have said previously that you won't be able to dock the address, haven't they? They said you would have to leave it in space. Well, you might be able to dock it in space, but you can't land the address. I don't think we've had a clear answer. I don't either. Mm, okay. I, I think I think that's been up in the end. That's, and that's why that, that they're in the patch note is on. Now, Lennon, you did bring up a good point before the show, is that the hangar that they're referring to may be more of a website thing, you know, mm. more of a these are ships in my inventory type thing. 
Yeah, because that's I, referred to as the hangar. You know, that's how, that's where yeah, you go to change yeah. your actual hangar. It's where you go to apply your ship upgrades and to purchase new ships. So, and there is a hangar in the Idris. Yes. So theoretically, you could spawn in your Idris because there's a hangar there that can hold a Hornet or an M50 or something like that. So that could be what it means too. It could mean that if you have an Idris, they're going to count that as a a quote hangar. Who knows? I don't know. Mm. Anyway, rampant speculation time. Who knows? But it's in the patch notes, so our curiosities were piqued. Good news for Jeff here. Ready for this one? Track IR is available, Jeff. Yeah, I'm going to have to try that out or set it up and see how it works. Well, we'll be expecting a detailed report next week. Then, yes. So. so let's fall back to the new flyable ships. Oh, yes. yes. Yeah. So start with the ships themselves, and then we'll move on to the controversy. Controversy. Oh, I, th- I think I've got, con- I got lots of controversy about this. Do you? Do you? Go lead off. If you want to go straight to the controver- uh, uh, cr- controversy. Controversy. <laughs> okay, all right. Well, we'll, 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 we'll bow to our British friend here for a second. Go ahead, Jeff. Take it away. Well, of course, uh, part of the patch release, there are two new flyable ships. One, a racing version of a fighter and, and escort craft, and, and one, a pure, raw racing machine, the M50, and the Origin Jumpworks 350R. Awesome ship. And I don't have either of them. Oh, but... You could shell out tons of money right exactly, now. Exactly, and that's the controversy, I think. Uh, um, all right. Yes, yes, it is the controversy. It is, un- controversy. It is unpatentable. I could get the Connie, the price of the Connie and the upgrades for it mm-hmm. and all that, but I've got over $500 in this game right now. They're making hand over fist of almost any game developer ever mm-hmm. uh, prior to release, and they're charging mm-hmm. that much for these ships. I, uh, mm-hmm. I was aghast. I almost mm-hmm. quit the game right then and there because mm-hmm. no. I'm serious. This is unbelievable. Unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Well, I think we're getting a little evil, full of ourselves and we need to get back to our roots. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that was part of the controversy too, is that, you know, last week on the show, we talked like someone, I think it was a feedback. Somebody asked them their feedback is, do you think they're going to put the racing ships back on sale again? And we all kind of went, eh, M50, probably not. They just sold that. Um, 350R probably because it has been on sale for a while, probably a limited time 350R thing. Well, lo and behold, they come out and they say both ships on sale permanently from now on at these increased prices. Everything in this game is stratospheric, but these were even more stratospheric than they used to be. Right. They put them out there, and then all of a sudden, rage comes from everywhere. Some of the rage was typified by Jeff's comments there. Some of it was, hey, you promised us that those things would be special, and we shelled out earlier on for having this exclusive item. Now everyone gets a chance to have it. You guys are big meanies. So basically, nobody's happy about this thing. Recently, they've just come out and uh, they've restricted the sale. It's going to be on sale until September 22nd. You can buy the uh, 350 package or the M50 package. Or not, uh, until or September not buy 22nd. it. Uh, don't, or not buy it, you know, as the case uh, may be. Say course, it with yeah. your money. I mean, seriously, don't buy them. Don't buy them. Buy them. I mean, they've raised their. They've raised fifty-three million dollars now. And if you saw the graph on the front page of the thing, I mean, it went from like thirty thousand dollars, whatever it was, to like over a hundred thousand dollars again. Every time they put a ship or a ship package on sale, they rake it in. Period. End of story. It's just Pavlovian the response they get, and that tells you a couple of things. Number one, people really want to support this game and will do so. But there are a lot of people out there that are spending their money hand over fist because they really, really want these particular digital items. And a note of caution may be worthy of being sounded right now. If you get it all now, CIG, there won't be anything left for when you're in the game and in the universe. Because, as I've... I, I said I was done with this. I said I was done with this topic, but I'm going to bring it up again. Because of my, my whole ship idea thing, it's the ships that people want, and I think that is clear 
based on their crowdfunding results. When they release a ship or a ship package, their funding goes through the roof. Save some of that for when the game starts up. There's got to be enough in the pipeline right now to get you through the development, early development process, I would hope, and get the Persistent Universe started and start your genuine revenue stream, not the crowdfunding. And that goes back to earlier conversation about crowdfunding. Wean us off the whole crowdfunding stuff. The crowdfunding stuff needs to taper down. The engineering goals, you know, what the next stretch goal is. This should already be an engineering design document. This is, these are things that should already plan, be planned in and just, you know, next steps with the AI things or, or the next uh, server farm you need. We need to switch gears. There needs to be a more sustainable revenue model. I think we need to switch that over now. The time has come. And the fact that Jeff, a huge fanboy, does his own podcast, the fact that he's getting a little upset about this, I think that's the signal. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I think that may be the yellow light. That may be caution, the yellow light. Let's let's, let's dial that strategy back and start aiming more towards um, how we're going to run things in the persistent universe and get people more on, on that line. I applaud your comments there, Tony. I think you're right. You're spot on. I think. It, okay. Thank God. I called. <laughs> thought we almost lost him there for a second, Leonard. No, I, I just have a, I have a deep rooted belief in the game. I just, I don't know where the decisions are coming from that are deciding these it must have been a mistake. I thought even the, the straight ship package was for the M50 was $115. It's like, you got to be, you can't, I mean, I almost paid that much for my Connie package <laughs> originally. You know, it's like, what are you really buying here? I mean, I, I get the pledge package. There seems to be more more to the ship and less to the pledge. Yeah, and I think that actually, Jeff, you raise a pretty good point at the end there. Certainly when I bought the Freelancer, part of the reason that I got the Freelancer was because I liked the look of it, but it was because I liked the look of it at the amount I was willing to pledge. I can't remember what else I was looking at now when I was considering it, but you know, I wanted to go around the $100 mark, and the Freelancer seemed like a good deal. It fit my play style perfectly, and at every price point there was something that you could get in exchange for you know, your pledge. Whereas now, rather than going after the the pledges and giving a ship, it seems as if they're putting out the ships and the money is just completely incidental at this point. Like, it's purely for the sake of getting the money. You're right on, because now there's an aspect of the game that I can't participate in until I come up with that money. Again, they may not be on sale by the time I have saved my nickels and quarters, and and so I'll still be out that. Well, now, hold on. Again, you can get into the racing module without the ships. When I got just whether you'll right? be competitive. That that's true. You won't be competitive, right? But then you can does, still fly the modules, but you won't be competitive. Is this then the very start of pay to win? Because if you're going to be nowhere near competitive, because you haven't spent one hundred and fifty dollars on a ship. Well, but again, I go back to the definition of win. I mean, if you are a racer guy, then you're not going to buy a freelancer. If you're an explorer, you're not going to buy an M50. You buy the ship, or you acquire the ship that fits your playstyle. Then you work at that playstyle the best you can. In economics, it's called the opportunity cost, right? If I'm going to take road A, that means I can't take road B. I just the, the opportunity for me to do that is gone. Now, if I want to take road A and road B, well, it's going to be awfully expensive. And CIG will be more than happy to accommodate you. Ladies and gentlemen, get out your credit cards and, and, and dial, dial this number. Operators are standing by. So if you don't want to have to choose, you can buy everything, and they got a price point for that for you. If you want to be a good racer, 100 bucks. If you want to be a good explorer, 100 bucks. If you want to be a good fighter, hundred bucks. If you want to be all three, three hundred bucks <laughs> or more. 
but that's the I think that's the idea. It's not pay to win; it's pay to choose. Once you have chosen, you have the right equipment to be competitive in that field. You won't be competitive in these other fields. You may be barely competent in these other fields. A freelancer does have guns on it; you can shoot things down. But you'll may you want to have a Hornet escort because the Hornet's going to be really good at shooting stuff down. I can totally see where you're coming from the, from that, and I would I would agree with you, except except, except. <laughs> here we go. <laughs> so firstly, there are no other ways to earn these ships. You currently have to Yet. pay for them, which Yet. which is precisely my point. They are marketing this good. game as if it's a final product. You know, we had it before where Chris said that, oh, the feature set is more like World of Tanks. It's more like a complete game than an alpha module. They're pushing it as a complete game. You can race. You can do this. You can do If we're just testing, that's fine. You can test in any ship whatsoever, but that's not how it's being presented. The way it's being presented is, here's a racing module. Here's the leaderboards. You are designed to go up head to head. By the way, the only way you can do it is if you pay us enough money. And that's where I have the issue. And, and I okay. had that issue too because yes, I mean, you. racing is a new thing. We didn't even think about racing. Yeah. yeah, I think you guys have hit the crux of it. I think you guys have hit the crux of it. So in the game, sure, you know, my arguments are perfectly valid. Oh yeah, two thousand fifteen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Once two thousand fifteen, you know, late two thousand fifteen rolls around, and we have what you know, kind of what quote beta or whatever it is. My arguments be perfectly valid for today. If you want to be competitive in the game that we have today, it's going to cost you more and more money. Yeah, and that's where you, people start getting into the whole ridiculous, like elite dangerous. The earlier you got into the alpha process, the more expensive it was. So now we're kind of on we're on that side of it here. We're you know, if you want to be competitive during the alpha stage, it's going to cost you an arm and a leg. Mm. And I'm also just worried about the sort of precedent that it sets right now. I mean, what we've effectively seen is we know that there were some ships that were built for speed, like the 300 series. That was, The whole commercial mm. was, you know, right. how right. do you define speed? speed, speed. speed. Yeah. Mm. And now it's like, no M50. You know, the M50 is how you define speed. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. exactly. I bought that. So, that, that, that was the second <laughs> ship I bought was the 325 because for I the wanted speed. for the uh -huh. speed. They've presented us that this particular thing is designed for this purpose. But let's just bring out this new ship and sneak it in the side, and it's actually going to be better than everything else. And if you want it, then you've got to pay us money because that's the only way you can get it. Well, what's going to happen is that if they continue down this pathway, then only the elite, and what I mean is by the financial elite, are going to play this game. <laughs> well, two, and on a very high note, we ran a poll, didn't we, Lennon? Yes, we did. And what did that poll say? So the important question was, uh, should the 3D tilting effect on the pause menu stay or should it go? And mm -hmm. we had an overwhelming 86% said it mm. should go. Yes, and what happened? And it went. And it went. It went. You know, I love the game we're building. It's nice and it's flat and everything is good. I'm, I'm happy. Yes, and the buttons are happy and, and pleasant and the, uh, the pause menu is fantastic. And it doesn't tilt. Most importantly, it does not tilt. In his latest time for the chairman, Chris takes some questions from subscribers, gives us the answers that only the chairman can provide. This week, a couple of things caught my eye. First, Chris was asked, once the Persistent Universe is live, will we be able to take jobs on board NPC ships? I want to be able to learn as much about the Gian Van Duel and other species out there as I can, and one of the best ways to do that might be as crew on a ship. He lets us know that you'll definitely be able to take jobs in the Persistent Universe. The initial idea is that you'll take a job as a pilot, but crew functionality, such as being the gunner on board the ship, might not be in the initial release. But with the AI behind Star Citizen, it's a natural extension of this ability to be added. Later. Nice. I thought that was yeah. Mm. I thought that was kind of interesting. So you could hire yourself out as a, as literally the shotgun writer, gunner for, for a ship. Just call yeah. me Gunny. I, I thought that was kind of cool. Uh, that was pretty cool. I thought, and uh, I think that part of that discussion, and maybe it was a later question, but Jeff, your your minions 
are apparently going to be persistent. So you may actually see your minions walking around inside your uh, hangar. It's almost a guaranteed thing, I think, if you have like a separate account and set it up as like an NPC. So that's like a guaranteed thing. But I'd be willing to bet if they have the functionality there for customizable NPCs. I'd be willing to bet that NPCs you hire in the game will also be persistent. Because if they're going to go all the trouble to make that backbone, it would just make sense for that to happen inside your hangar. goes into that whole populated universe thing that we talked about last time, so I'd be willing to bet that's going to be a deal. Chris was then asked if data stored on your ship's computer can be lost to object destruction or compromised by a hacker. And Chris said that this is an interesting question, but all the details haven't been fleshed out yet. However, there will be forms of electronic warfare like being able to hack into a ship remotely, maybe upload a virus. And one of the things that I thought was very interesting was that on capital ships, it's under discussion anyway, to be electronic warfare and electronic countermeasures as a seat action. So that that'll be part of the gameplay. There'll be a guy steering the ship, there'll be a guy firing the weapons, and there's a guy messing with the other dude's radar and making sure that your radar doesn't get messed with. Pretty much like what's happened on, on a lot of Navy ships today, there's an electronics oh, warfare yeah. officer and... Yeah, that's a huge part of modern naval combat. Absolutely. Mm. Tons of gameplay possibilities there, too. I mean, you know, mini games or whatever, trying to match frequencies or override whatever, burn through jamming. I mean, there's tons of possibilities with that. I really hope they focus a lot of development time on that. And the last question we're going to cover is regarding damage scales, whether there's going to be physical limitations to the effectiveness of weaponry against different types of armor, for example. Will you be able to shoot a Idris with a cannon and, and have, it, have an impact? And Chris says, well... There'll be some limitations on that, but one of the things that I found most interesting was that it kind of confirmed our earlier discussion uh, in a previous Nuggets for Nuggets. It'll be lasers versus armor and ballistic or kinetic weapons versus shields. The shields won't stop ballistic weapons and armor won't stop energy weapons. So if you want to be safe against lasers, beef up on the shields. If you want to be safe against bullets, beef up on the armor. And apparently hull is sort of agnostic. Hull points are just going to be chewed up no matter what you get hit with. So I just thought that was a good confirmation from the chairman on our earlier discussion there. And lastly, in our news roundup, we bring you news that CitizenCon 2014 is just around the corner. This year, the present and future Star Citizen will be unveiled in Los Angeles on October 10th, the anniversary of Star Citizen's launch. All the details for CitizenCon will be found in our show notes. By the time you hear this episode on Tuesday, the tickets will likely be gone. But there will be a live stream of the event, so if you missed out on the tickets, you needn't miss out on the action. But now it's time for... News we didn't use. Starwatch, murder or worse? We'll give you a hint, it's probably worse. A work-in-progress gallery of the Mustang showing her off in all her rendered glory. Orbital Supermax Episode 11, where Martin Browning's identity is finally revealed. And Around the Verse Episode 13, featuring Chris Smith, lead ship modeler for CIG. And this week's community question might be kind of an obvious one, but we really want to know, what are your thoughts on Arena Commander 0.9, otherwise known as Release 13? Now that you've had a chance to play it, let us know by commenting on this week's show post on CardFrequency.com or over on our show's weekly thread at robertspaceindustries.com. And as the shithole for this week was neck and neck, we're going to keep it open for another week, and so we'll be skipping right by Nuggets for Nuggets this week. So let's jump straight into our interview with CIG's VP of Marketing, Sandy Gardner. Authenticate. 
indicate identity with recognition codes immediately. I am a cipher, a cipher wrapped in an enigma, smothered in secret sauce. All right, sits and sis, and let's welcome our special guest, your VP of Marketing, Sandy Gardner. Sandy, welcome to Guard Frequency. Thank you. All right, Sandy, just to start us off here, uh, I have to ask you some questions on behalf of marketing professionals everywhere. First question here, um, your print ad budget for Star Citizen, zero dollars, is that right? That is correct. Okay, and and, uh, uh, TV, radio, internet, zero, 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 Is is that also correct? Uh, well, in terms of advertising dollars for the internet, yes. Okay, all right. And then um, crowdfunding revenue as balanced against those marketing budgets. Uh, where are we at here? North of 52 million at this point? North of 52. Uh, yep. Yeah, okay. So um, why did you blow up the marketing profession? And why did you ruin it for everybody else? I mean, on a budget of zero, you've raised $52 million. How'd, how'd you pull that off? Well, uh, I'm not sure I actually did that. Oh, come on, you're, you're, you're VP of marketing. You can take all the credit. <laughs> no one listens to the show. We won't tell anyone. <laughs> well, uh, the fans basically do it all. It's a fun job. It's kind of stressful, though. In the beginning, I mean, we, I didn't know it was going to work. So tell us about those early days, you know, when you were cobbling together the strategy of basically starting with no money and relying on word of mouth and secrecy and sort of, you know, clues and Wikipedia entries. Is this all part of your grand scheme or are you just throwing stuff up against the wall and seeing what's stuck? Well, I thought that Chris would be popular. I mean, I just definitely did my homework and I came up with a campaign that I thought was going to work when we were playing around with a website and we had seven people just find us because we let the wall down for, I mm-hmm. don't know, a couple of minutes. And there were seven people like, hey, what's happening? Oh my God, Chris Roberts is back. And it got onto a chat thread or whatever. And we're like, wow, okay, well, you know, and then we had like 20,000 people sign up in the first week of doing the little 42 underground teaser golden ticket thing. We thought, oh, well, maybe we, we might do all right. And then when we launched, we were like, oh, cool. Wow. Well, we did put a lot of effort into a, um, you know, it's all good and well, Chris coming back and he's a pedigree in the industry, but we weren't sure if anybody would care about that. Not Chris for a long time, and he makes great games, but they're not small ideas. So I'm always on my toes. Is it, is it because, you know, is it like a, well, we've proven we've gone this far, so we don't really know where the edge of the envelope is, so we better keep pushing? Yeah, and I think maybe I'm just, I, I just kind of, maybe that's just my personality. I'm just kind of that type of person. I get bored after a little bit. <laughs> um, no, I don't really this have This isn't fun of- anymore. I need something more to do. Let's, let's it- see if I can break something. Yeah, exactly. yeah. So I want to come up with something new. I've been looking at places like the Royal Albert Hall. Oh, that's because I thought something like a Squadron Forty Two Orchestral could be fun. So that's kind of maybe a little outside of the box. Things like that. I found a really cool venue in Berlin for an event. I would have to see if people would come just for CitizenCon to Berlin. They voted for it, but you know. Are you still asking those kinds of questions like, oh, I wonder if I can get 100 people to show up to this? Uh, uh, I think the answer is probably, yeah. But how big is the venue? Are we talking 2,000 people? For Berlin, we're talking three and a half, I think. Yeah, I mean, the Royal Albert Hall wouldn't be until about 16 months away. That seat's about f- almost 5,000 people. 16 so. months away. All right, boys, put, uh, file that away in our conspiracy theory calendars about uh, alpha and beta release. <laughs> we'll pick that We'll pick that statement apart later after put this recording in the can. Why has crowdfunding campaign really taken off? Well, I think you have to have the right 
combination. So Chris is, yes, he's a pedigree, but also it's about the community. But it's kind of hidden. It's hard to explain. I try explaining it to people all the time. I've been interviewing some people to be uh, like a director of marketing, but they kind of get a little lost when I say, well, we're technically not selling a game. Sandy, I've already bought in. Jeff's already bought in. Lennon's already bought in. What exactly did we buy, Sandy? Go ahead. What you bought was experience, a community, a family, fun. People get together over a common interest. It's really hard. Well, at least that's what I think you bought. I, I, I don't know. I can only speak for myself. I, I, it's hard in today's world to have any sense of discovery because I think, you know, with the internet and Twitter and Facebook and there was no real, it's like, okay, the whole planet. I mean, I just, you know, I was in Europe last week. It's like you, everybody's kind of been everywhere. That's what it feels like. There's nothing really new. And yes, okay, you can get like that De Destiny came out yesterday or the day before or whatever, but there's no like experience with that. Right. If you get what I mean. I just saw us getting written up in the Guinness Book of Records for the largest crowdfund. Actually, my son has that wow. book, and yes, you're in there. Yeah, I thought that was kind of interesting, yeah. right? I love communicating with you. know, I have a bunch of fans who communicate with me on my Twitter, and you know, they've all made friends and guilds, and like, this is a completely new world that's being created from nothing. And I think I myself, that's kind of like excited. That's like a unique experience that you just can't get anywhere else. We just got done watching the uh, Around the Verse episode that just came out here. And uh, right at the very beginning, something caught my ear and my eye. And it's when you mentioned that a friend of yours had told you, had accused you of not being a gamer. Now, you've certainly heard of all the nutty things going on around in the gaming industry with women in gaming and journalism and all this other garbage. I'm not interested in trying to bring that all into this discussion, but the idea that there is a gamer label and some people should have it and some people shouldn't. Is that something that we should be discussing in the context of this game? Is this a game that's only for gamers? Is this a game that if you're not going to put in those hours and hours and, and cover yourself in Cheeto dust, should you just not try? Well, I should hope not with me as the head of marketing because I don't, I just don't have enough time <laughs> to put hours and hours into something. And I guess my needs are, maybe it's because I work so much and it's a fun job, but it's not the easiest job sometimes. So it's like, I just want to kind of explore the universe or hang out socially in somebody's hangar you should be able to like i should be able to go and sit and hang out in a bar and right. watch like a news show like robocop style and just kind of work out what's going on in the verse and go explore like go on a you know how uh, whatever if you own a bmw they do a bmw drive on a sunday up the pch or something like that right so you should be able to be a casual gamer I mean, it would suck, right? If you, okay, whatever, you go away for a month or something happens and you come back and the whole universe is like moved on. Yeah, the leaderboards, for example, that really floats some people's boats. That's for some people who want to put hours and hours into dogfighting and racing and things like that. But to just explore the universe or kind of hang out in your hangar, have friends over, that's the other end of the spectrum. And I think what we have enough varied ships, right? So say, for example, whatever, if I just want to be an info runner, have people come around to my hangar and give me some information that I have to ship across to another planet or something. Don't have to be hardcore for that. Right. I can't remember when we did the, I was on, a, I think it was Kickstarter back in the day. And people were like, I'd love to just be the AAA dude or whatever. I was like, yeah, that just kind of sounds like fun to me. Like, I, I, you know, in real life, I'm not sure that would be my thing. But definitely in game, that's that sounds fun to me. All right, Lennon, it's time. We've got to do it. Okay. 
So as anybody who listens to the show regularly knows that there is a particular question that I always ask. So Sandy Gardner, where the f*** is the Avenger mission pack? Where the f*** is the Avenger mission pack? I just asked I just asked the guys that this morning. Oh, did you get Excellent. an answer? You know, I got an answer that it would be this year. <sighs> All right. Oh. I mean, that's something. But I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know why the Avenger has been pushed back, to be honest. It's the LA team that's on it, so I should be closer to the pulse on that one. Give them a little nudge for us. <laughs> just say, hey, they put the screws to me. They put me under the little light bulb. We had to just had to know, and uh, we were just brutal about it. This is the point of the interview where we turn the mic over to you. If there's anything you'd uh, want to say, anything exciting that hasn't been brought out through other channels, this is your open mic, Sandy. Take it away. I'd like to thank all the people who are listening to this. I'm going to have to listen to this myself. I do remember when Ben was on the Guard Frequency. Thank you guys for having me, and hopefully the patch will be out. And so will the new M50 commercial, which I hope all of you guys like. Yeah, it's quite a fun one. I think it's a fun one. And uh, if we will see you at Citizen Con, we hope we do. And after that, PAX Australia. PAX Australia. Uh, any, other, any other plans for stuff beyond PAX Australia written down yet? Or? Well, I am pushing to do some kind of fun live stream for Christmas and, and maybe push out some fun stuff. I'm, I'm pushing to have a lot more ships flyable by Christmas to start. And I just saw a ship spreadsheet, which I'm going to push to get the, all the artists to get all the in so we can get people flying in all different ships. Well, you know, if you wanted to drop that in an email to us over here at uh, Tony at guardfrequency.com, you know, you'll do the right thing with it. <laughs> just, just, you know, if, if you want to do, no one listens to this show. No, it doesn't does, does matter. Does matter. All right. Well, Sandy Gardner, we really appreciate you stopping by and uh, talking to us for a little while and hope to have you on again sometime soon. Absolutely, guys. Thanks for having me. All right. And now let's find out what you guys had to say to us and jump into the feedback loop. Okay, buddy. What's on your mind? We're all friendlies! So let's just be friendly! From our show post at GuardFrequency.com, Volgar had some thoughts on the economy. Community awareness needed for getting the economy correct the first time around, as it's the only thing a game needs to be perfect at release. Everything else can change about a game. I don't know that I agree completely with that because economies do change in other games and, and a lot of times sure. it, it works just fine. The hook has to be, has to be believable, right? But yes. Yeah. yeah. As long as it makes sense. I can see what he's getting at. And just because an economy is perfect doesn't have to mean it's fair. You know, there right. is in any perfect economy there will be the potential for vast riches but also vast poverty and supply and demand tends to balance it all out anyway so i know of very few games where the economy is actually broken i know a lot of people complain it's broken but that's just supply and demand just because they don't think you know a blaster that you find lying around on the floor should be worth 28 gold doesn't mean that that's not <laughs> what the community value it at so right that that is still economy supply and demand working just yeah it doesn't make sense in the game's context and i'm wondering if that's actually more what vulgar is getting at is that it needs to be a perfect economy a believable economy as opposed yeah. to a perfect economy but no i'll, I'll go along with that uh we hear from Saoldian. great show as always gents and the corporate raiders were fabulous i i, I liked them did you guys like them we had fun with that mm, yes too. yeah yeah as has been said many times the ship stats will change therefore we should buy a ship based on what we like aesthetically I bought the ships I have because they look cool to me. As long as the ability to melt ships stays until the stats are firm, I don't see an issue as long as people get the point that stats will change. Don't make ship decisions based on stats, period. 
here, here. Yep. And, yep. Good, very yeah, good and even points. once you get in, even once you get in the verse, they change how you aim the guns and all that. That changes your gameplay completely. So you know, it's it's alpha, it's pre-alpha, it's they're still fussing with stuff. It's just jump in, play, shoot things. And Osteron sends us a message and says, "Great show as usual, guys." I don't feel most ships have been over or undersold because at this point, and even back when Jeff was paying for his vaunted golden ticket, all of these purchases were purely speculative. I think with most ships that they've maintained the original intent, for example, the Hornet is still a military dogfighter, the Cutlass is still a badly disguised pirate ship, the Connie is a bad basis for this argument, I think, because they build it as a ship that could do everything but with friends. It's possible that CIG could be cited for some misleading advertising in that vein, but every other ship has had a clearly defined purpose and seems so far to have stuck with it. We covered it in the CIG news. I think there is at least the perception, and there certainly was quite a bit of controversy or controversy around the packages this time, more so than I think we've seen in a while. The Connie didn't get nearly, I mean, it had some of it, but, you know, Jeff, you had sticker shock on the Connie too a little bit, but it wasn't nearly this level right. of, of back and forth. And CIG did change their tune on the packages and made it scaled it back to not be permanent but a limited time sale. So they're listening, and I think that they know they stepped on something this time, and they're going to take that under, under advisement and regroup. I mean, they're still figuring stuff out, too. This whole crowdfunding thing is very new to everybody. So they're going to push the envelope, though. They'd be stupid not to. But they'd also be stupid to not step back if there's a backlash. Carrying on, he then says, and this is entirely your fault here, because Tony out-and-out yeah. out told me to on air, I'm going to continue I my did. thread from last week. Tony uh-huh. mentioned that Jeff was concerned about pay money for a speculative find at X-coordinate missions. Mm-hmm. It seems to me, based on the descriptions we've gotten so far, these types of missions are going to be how career explorers make their livelihood. After the second day of launch, when every jump point has been discovered already, the explorers will have to scour systems, finding wrecks, asteroid fields, and pirate nests that they themselves won't be able to exploit, but they'll be selling the info on where to find them. Tony. Here's the thing. Most of the people that want to play this game, like the majority of people, or at least a very strong plurality, want to do exploration missions. That's what they want to do. It would be foolish of CIG to not somehow monetarily exploit that. And again, I don't mean that you have to pay cash to get these sort of salvage coordinates. You could pay shipments. Exactly. That's exactly my point, is that somehow there's got to be a bunch of people that want to spend money in the game, pay to bypass, and that needs to be transferred into the game somehow via a mechanic of some way that introduces an element of risk or an element of gameplay into the game before it hits the economy as UEC. And... This is one of those mechanics that could really do that. I want to get a ship part in the game, and I'm going to trade that for UEC right now. Boom. Somebody picks it up. They spent a bunch of UEC out of the ship part. They trade the ship part in, and some guy says, thanks for the new ship part. You know, I've heard of this place that's out there that may have some really wacky stuff. I've got this nice standardized ship part that I need to build my Idris with, but there may be some cool things out there that are wacky. I don't want that. I know I need the standard part. So it's a thing that really could work, and it's a thing that would pay for continual content expansion in the game because the explorers want it. They demand it. They need it. So put the money there. Put the ridiculous lockbox, stupid-ass, annoying mechanic there so that if people really, really want it, hard currency gets into the game to make it happen. Do you smell that? That's a Reddit thread. Oh, no. No. 
No. I had a chance to think about this and I thought, wouldn't it be cool if the insurance company or a corporation that had an ownership of a wreck or a salvage out there, but they posted a job mm-hmm. board and said, we have a component on a ship that needs to be recovered. Are you willing to go out there, get it, bring it back? Everything else that you find is yours. Yeah, that would work. That would totally work. Sean Newboy writes, you can never go wrong with Monty Python. Here, here. Wonderful episode. <laughs> I have a feeling as to the ship stats that currently even the devs don't have a clue on how it's all going to work out. I, you know, Sean, I don't. I think you're right. I think they're all still so far behind the eight ball. They're just trying to get everything done before people start losing hope. The game will be awesome when it comes out, but some people will still lose hope if either game isn't at least in beta by the end of the year. Well, I don't know if they'll lose hope, but I'm sure there'll be some angst. Yeah, 2014 is going to be the trying year. I reckon it won't come out 2014. I reckon it will be that we won't see either of them, and there will be this whole angst, like Jeff was saying, but we predicted it was going yeah. to be a trying year. I'm sticking with that. I'd hope to think that they have like something for Squadron 42 by Christmas. I would really hope. The I, first mission? Yeah, I don't mm. know. I hold out to hope, but I mean, my prepared. My sort of issue with the being in beta is that We've only had a demo of the FPS module for a few seconds. Admittedly, there's more coming at PAX Australia that we just haven't had yet. But based on what we've got so far, let's just say they've got a a working demo. Um, In fact, no, let's go one stage further. Let's just say that there's an FPS module just about ready to drop. You've got to combine that with everything that's currently in Arena Commander, plus all the bigger ships and all that, that we haven't seen any in-game asset tree artwork other than what they show you on the behind-the-scenesy stuff. The game has got to then be tested through all the missions, go through the alpha phase before it's available in beta. I think that that's pushing it for four months. Yeah, I, I'm hoping that they get enough alpha e things from the star citizen slash arena commander side of stuff that they are confident enough that they can throw out the first mission in squadron 42 i mean theoretically we'll have first person sometime before the end of the year that would work out the kinks on that and again it's a single player game so all these problems we're having with the net connections and other kind of stuff not a thing in squadron 42 and known forum troll jay chivalry being low master says i bought the 300i then i heard about the 315p with an exploration bent other than it has a more exploration-y scanner and a tractor beam and a sweet paint job, I don't have much expectation as far as the stats. I mean, I guess the main thing is if I buy the base model but can in-game buy the gear to make it match a variant, then no, extra ships, sales as variants just means they get new gear, possibly a different look. I haven't paid enough attention to know if the chassis changes the various hard points, so that would factor in. I got the 315P because it's in my price range. It said exploration on it. I get the game and a ship that, if it does a decent job of exploring, I'm happy. Yeah, I mean, as long as there's a method to turn my base Connie into a Phoenix if I so desired, then it doesn't really matter. Again, it's just a level of support for the crowdfunding campaign, which we need to get off of, please, thank you very much, and get into more of a revenue model. But we're not in the game yet. But until that happens, you know, people who have just point of view are probably totally justified at this point and being a little upset about that. And from our email, scorecardfrequency.com, Zerli writes in and says, Aloha, frequentists. Damn, you cut the historical analogies. What am I supposed to grumble about now? <laughs> I don't think it made it into the final edit, but I did pause halfway through Nuggets for Nuggets and say, normally this is where I would compare it to XYZ, but I don't want those people writing in again and being all like Phoenicians <laughs> and all that sort of thing. So... <laughs> 
just for the general public's information, the Tavarin are a feudal monarchy oligarchy that have a deep respect for war and a strong Bushido-like code. I'm going to go 1400s Japan, and if anybody out there does want to provide evidence to the contrary, I'm, I'm happy for you to do so. In fact, yeah, if you can find something, if you think you have a better fit, then let me know. I'd be interested to hear it. He then goes on to say, great episode, and of course I also enjoyed this week's Go No Go segment on Galactic Inquiry. And if you guys haven't seen that, it's a pretty good show, you should check it out. From Twitter, Obvious UK, glad to see Act Art Freak make... Whoops, 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 Oblivious. I'm sorry, (laughs) I can't remember the names. Oblivious UK says, glad to see Act Art Freak making the return to Galactic Inquiry. Well, we had a good time there, and we always do, thanks to Michael Viewmaster Moreland. Anytime, buddy, just ask us and we'll be there. Permanent Starlight says, At Card Freak, thanks for the moral support, at Lynn and Rich. It may be painful, but recap is crucial, and wondering if anyone's opinions changed on the topic. Okay, well, you heard Squawk, Permanent Starlight. Lennon did indeed pressure me into doing it, and then we talked about it for the rest of the show, too. So I, it, it's an important, crucial topic. It's one that I'm deeply invested in, but dear God, I can't go back to Reddit again. I mean, I w- it will suck away my life. I just, I just, I just, I just can't. And from our amazing donors of monetary goodness, we got an anonymous donate $10 and $20. Clearly, the next step up should be 40 60 80 and 160 You're so, here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you. And this week's community question might be an obvious one, but we want to know, what are your thoughts on Arena Commander 0.9, or as we like to call it, Patch 13? Let us know by commenting on this week's show post at guardfrequency.com or over on our show's weekly thread at robertspaceindustries.com. So, how was the show? Did it connect right away, or did it just queue up and say, no match found? Either way, let us know. Here are some ways you can get in touch with us. Check out our forum post at forums.robertspaceindustries.com. You can leave a comment on this episode's show notes at guardfrequency.com, and you can subscribe feeds.guardfrequency.com, or just find us on iTunes. You can hit us up on Twitter at GuardFreak, and leave a comment and like us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash GuardFreak. And if you're lucky, I might just put your name live on the air. What? <laughs> and if you're old school like us, shoot us an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com. Your feedback is an important part of what we do, so take a minute and tell us what's on your mind. That brings us to the end of episode 38 of Guard Frequency. We'll be back with episode 39 on September 23rd, so be sure to keep an eye out for our show over at guardfrequency.com or the official Robert Space Industries fan site subform. Please send us your feedback about the show. Aside from all the ways we just ran down in the feedback loop, you can also use the contact form on our website. All the details for all the ways you can get in touch with us will be found in the show notes. Do you like what we do? Do you want to come and help us make the best damn space sim podcast ever? If so, send a note to squawk at guardfrequency.com. And if you just can't get enough spaceship podcasting, why not check out our sister production, Priority One? They cover Star Trek Online and the greatest Star Trek universe. Just head over to priorityonepodcast.com. Are you looking for a friendly wingman or two? Check out our organization, Guard Frequency Response, at the official RSI website, robertspaceindustries.com slash orgs slash guardfreak. And, you know, if you're not doing anything Saturday night, then you should join us live over at guardfrequency.com slash live. We start recording around 8 p.m. Central. That's 2 a.m. Sunday GMT. We'd like to thank the entire team at Guard Frequency and the Priority One Network. Thanks to our community manager, Justin Chivalry Bean Lowmaster, and our artist, Simon Charlton Edwards. Special thanks to Sandy Gardner for stopping by for the interview, and thanks to our syndication partner, The Base. And a special thanks to Ronald Jenkins for his permission to use his music in our show. Visit ronaldjenkins.com for more of his work. But above all, we especially want to thank you folks for tuning in. If no one's listening out there, the deep black gets pretty lonely. 
Reduce thrust. Down to three three zero. Carol one five. Squawk seven seven zero zero. Stay on the ground. Have you read, seen, or heard something you think might be interesting to other citizens or civilians? Send an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com and I have to do that over again because I hear my kids in the background. Shut up, everybody, or no donuts. Sits and Sibs, we are always on the lookout for talented individuals. Sits and Sibs, we are talented individuals. We are talented individuals. I've been on the cough syrup again. A work in progress gallery of the Mustang showing off her... A work in progress of the good lord. A work in progress. <laughs> Perhaps, it's pronounced progress. 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 There's, there's controversy about the progress. Okay, okay. We're talented in visuals.